Hello and welcome to Talking to Leaders, the podcast where we extend the conversation around female entrepreneurship beyond the challenges and instead focus on positivity and the actions we can each take to drive change. Hi, I'm David Blanger, currently a member of the IP team here at CMS. And in today's episode, I'm talking to Cindy Van Neerkirk, founder and CEO of Umazi, about the accelerated adoption of digital services throughout the pandemic, the importance of protecting consumers and businesses in a rapidly changing digital landscape, and the role that cryptocurrency and blockchain plays in this space. Thank you for joining us today, Cindy. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for, give, for giving me a voice. Absolute pleasure. Um, I suppose we can we can get right to it. Um, first, first question that uh, we had for you today was um, about the adoption of digital services recently. Um, and, and we've seen this, the rate of adoption of digital services uh, accelerate over the last two years, partly uh, or in a large part because of the pandemic. And one such innovation has been the likes of cryptocurrency and blockchain making a resurgence and coming back into the mainstream. So I thought that before we get into the weeds of that world um, and Umazi's role in it, it might be beneficial for the listeners out there to provide maybe a bit of context on uh, one, the sort of general digital landscape that we find ourselves in and two, where um, cryptocurrency and blockchain fit into that. Yeah, sure. Um, happy to. So let me delve into digital first. So digital world we're now, is now part of our lives, um, kind of whether we like it or not. You know, thanks to COVID, um, I think there's very few of us that have not had the opportunity to be on a Zoom call in the last two years. And that goes the same for my parents. And so you go from Zoom and then you've got the metaverse sort of screaming at us in the background as well. Statistically, if you look at it, McKinsey's actually said that COVID has accelerated digital innovation by seven years. Um, we've also learned to do a lot of the things that we used to do digitally as a result of COVID. And then you've got things like the UK government who's actually looking to legalize remote verification which is very important for us. Um, on the flip side, alongside the UK, there are 15 countries looking at self-sovereign identity, um, which is a technology digital version of being able to be in charge and responsible for your own digital identity. So digital innovation in and of itself is here to stay. So if you flip then to the other side of your question, which is, um, crypto and blockchain, which kind of goes hand in hand. Crypto exists because of blockchain. Blockchain is the tech that makes it and enables it. Um, but the use cases of blockchain um, is reaching far beyond just crypto. So in of itself, in a very simplistic format, it's all about proof of value and securing um, whether it's a digital, ident digital identity, a digital currency, or a digital piece of art, which is where NFT comes in. It is the proof of value in securing that for um, the future. Blockchain in itself, which thanks for us, it's no longer a swear word anymore, 
is more superior in a way to reflect and transfer store data due to the cryptographic process that but also due to the distributed nature of it so if very simplistically if you try and hack a blockchain network it's like trying to hack a hundred desktop computers all at the same time down to the millisecond and because one of those computers may pick up a mismatch with its neighbor's data it will log it and become traceable and auditable so completely different level of security and privacy right so so blockchain uh kind of affords us this new level of creating data um and and storing yep. data in in this virtual world is that yep. is that kind of the idea yeah for sure okay so in in terms of then the um security and privacy of that data because um you know as we know data is becoming increasingly uh prevalent in society and valuable in society so so there's sort of a need to protect that um so in terms of security and privacy what are the developments and opportunities uh, and positive changes that you have seen taking place in the security and privacy space vis-a-vis -vis blockchain over the last year? Well, selfishly, I look at it from a digital identity space, right? So as founder and CEO of Amazi, that's sort of our focal point when it comes to the blockchain space. But let me explain that a little bit further. Why? I think a lot of people will really find blockchain technology interesting. If you think about going to a nightclub, okay, when we're still going to nightclubs and we can start now going to nightclubs yeah. again, you need to prove your age the moment you walk through the door for the bouncer. So you rock up, you show your driver's license to the door, but what you cannot do in that instance is redact your address mm -hmm your full name and all the other detail that sits on that driver's license, right? right. So you basically give a whole lot more away mm. in that split second than what you really need to. So with a digital identity, you can actually choose who sees what, when, and how. Now, that, as I mentioned, is, that's exactly what we do for Amazi, right? But we do that for enterprises. You can pull together all of the relevant verification data once, but then can selectively share what each party needs to see and how you share that, right? Um, so if I flip that in very technical terms, Umazi is a decentralized enterprise identity platform that facilitates a secure sharing of due diligence results. So you don't have to copy and paste anymore but you can be selective as well about who, what you share. Um, our process has enabled um, us and we anticipate also a lot of market FOMO due to some of the changes in the industry. Um, I mentioned remote verification in, the, you know, in our previous question by the UK. But there's a lot going on in this space. Um, there's also the, the digital identity framework that UK is looking at. Um, things that countries like Singapore have been doing for years. It's a sort of a one-click, I'm accessing all services with a one-click button. And then you've got GLIFE, the Global Legal 
entity verifier, um, which came in on the back of the MIFID regulation, which requires you to own an identity number as an organization. So Glyph will actually start issuing some of those verified credentials. That's interesting for us because we can ingest those um, that actually increases the strength of an enterprise's identity. All of these bits and pieces are huge drivers um, of cost reduction. Um, and so for us, it's not just the customers directly that Umadi directly reaches, but it amplifies what is also happening in the industry and when and how we can consume that. So sort of that, like the saying of rising tides will lift all boats. Um, this space is growing slowly, yeah. but it's definitely growing. Right. In terms of those profiles, so is the idea that every institution will be able to have its own secure digital profile that then it will, at its own discretion, it will be able to um, selectively give out only the required data uh, requested. In a very simplistic format um, is if you become a client of Barclays, just a retail client, you want to open a current account, you've got a raft of credentials that you need to provide and evidence your existence. Okay, let's call that 20 fields. Mm -hmm. If you want to become a supplier of CMS, you will go through a procurement process. And that's also a due diligence process. And so for that example, let's say you produce 15 fields. What we found is there's an overlap in the amount of data that you produce. And so if I have one place where I can store my data securely, but also very easily share it with the organizations that need to have it, that's a huge cost benefit, also quite a business process benefit. And so I can select the 20 fields that Barclay needs and share that with Barclays. But then in the same respect, I can share the 15 fields with CMS and very easily CMS can look at that data that was previously validated, verified by Barclays. The added benefit as well is because CMS is now subscribed to Enterprise A's identity, if anything changes in those credentials, you'll immediately get notified. And will that change only come about if if the um, let's say we're called Entity X is is the person whose profile we're, we're discussing here? Will it only come back if they change it, or are there going to be other external um, verification? That, that can double check all that data? Yeah, look, there are many instances in which a company's credentials changes throughout its existence, mm. okay? So going through funding round, shareholders change, right? Mm. Um, becoming a multinational, operational change happens, decision makers change going through mergers and acquisitions process or going through an IPO, change happens. Splitting up an organization, core, non-core, change happens. So those are just some of the changes that happens that are very obvious in your face, 
but there are a number of credentials that can change often and some not so often. But why do you need to go through a completely refreshed process if a company hasn't moved their headquarters? Mm -hmm. But you'd love to know when the company structure, shareholders have changed, and that puts the company in different risk category because I might have shareholders from North Korea on their shareholder list now. So who, who would be inputting those changes? I'm just trying to understand the decentralized nature and how that fits in with responsibility of that data. Sure. So the responsibility, the identity comes back to being it's the corporate identity, right? Um, so it's self-sovereign identification. I am responsible for my own data. Mm. But it's we take that data and it's enriched through some of our partners. So we've got partnerships with Comply Advantage and Dujil that basically adds an additional layer of saying, yes, this data is true and correct. So you don't just rely on another third party. It's almost like a three-way check, all on the same platform. Mm. Um, the way those updates happens is because the company will realize that it's a more efficient way to update information, they'll only update the Amazi profile. But for example, there is a regulatory requirement that we need to submit accounts every year to HMRC. Mm -hmm. And we need to inform HMRC if our address changes. We need to make sure that our shareholders structure is updated on company's house. So this has got absolutely nothing to do with Barclays when I change my shareholder structure. Mm. But Barclays would wanna know, for example, if I take on someone that puts me in a different risk rated category. Yes. Which is why we call it collaborative due diligence. Right. right. We're collaborating, not competing with each other. Yes. Yeah, because we're all part, sort of nodes in this in this network that can yep. build, build the profile. So so I guess in terms of if, if we look forward a bit, um, in, in in terms of these implications and you know the role that blockchain will play in society um in general and in creating solutions for digital security identity and privacy do you think for example that these governmental databases might join in on on the blockchain for lack of a better phrase and and sure you know that it will all as we said it will collaborate together and, and those inputs will be able to naturally combine yeah, I do envisage that. How? I'm not 100% sure yet. Just because one of the biggest challenges and sort of it's one of those things where you make a rut for your own back when you write some of these things is I love GDPR as a regulation, mm -hmm. right? Because it gave me the ability to, to say no to so many rubbish emails. I take great pleasure in responding and unsubscribing to an email and if they don't do that I'll follow up and say look if it wasn't clear I'm expressing my right to be forgotten that very specific words right to be forgotten that's really hard to do on blockchain mm. it's possible right so if, I go, if you go back to what I've explained about distributed information think about it as the very simplistic old age way of writing in a ledger yeah. When you open the first book, open up, 
you can't go back and tear out the first page because you had an incorrect entry. You have to write a corrective entry. Yes. But the old entry still stays there. Page one is still there. Right. And that's where blockchain comes in, right? Every single entry remains there forever. So how can I then execute my right to be forgotten if my personal data is on blockchain? So those heads need to be bumped at some point. And so I think when you think about government organizations, I think the governments generally will work with the industry to come up with a solution of how we actually work together to solve it, but also being able to give people the ability to still manage their data, their data in accordance with something like GDPR. Right. So, so is that so there is a sort of a bit of a conflict there in this. Uh, we want yeah. on the one hand, we want to be able to manage our data and, and have, as you say, this right to be forgotten, which yeah. requires relinquishing data from the data ecosystem. And on the other hand, we're saying blockchain as a ledger mandates that all the information that has existed will yeah. will exist. Correct. And it's an open argument, right? There's ways that people are working on this to skirt around GDPR. Mm. It's one of the main reasons why we tackled enterprises and not individuals. Mm -hmm. Because enterprise data isn't personal data. It's publicly available data. Yes, I see. I, I can, I, as someone who is data conscious, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I empathize with the discussion because you want to have the, there's there's all this there's benefits um, and uh, of the security that we have in data. I don't I don't want to give my data to a I don't know just things like restaurant bookings. Like you don't need to have my email, my phone number, and where I live. <laughs> Absolutely, I completely agree with you. Right, if I have authenticated my identity through my iPhone, all I need to be able to do is authenticate that restaurant booking using my Apple ID. You don't, as you say, you don't need everything else because everything else you're going to use for marketing that I don't agree to and I don't want. I just want to come and visit you once. Yeah. Right. Um, but there are many other great reasons for blockchain. Right. One that's, that's really close to my heart is um, supply chain. Right. So there's a $1.3 trillion gap in the supply chain process, um, which leaves SMEs really low on the scale, um, struggling to compete with some of the bigger um, enterprises. Now, if you think about what I mentioned before, transfer of value and how auditable and traceable it is, how great would it be if you're able to trace the apple that you're eating for lunch today all the way back from the moment the seed was planted. Mm. That's a great story, right? It was planted somewhere in Africa by this person this month. Here's a tree. It's completely um, eco-friendly and it went on this plane because, you know, whatever sustainability routes is being followed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can track your sustainability footprint, mm. right? And then the other one that I also got a lot of sympathy for, just because I come from a house of creatives, 
is being able to protect intellectual property. Um, so music, yeah. for example. I, so much music is digitized these days, but how do you truly protect it? Like back in the day, I mean, we've all been there. We, we ripped CDs. We dub tape tapes. I feel sorry for the, for the singers and songwriters that can't tap into the work that they actually put out, right? right. Um, and so with blockchain technology, you can respect, you can respect their privacy um, mm. and protect their assets. And, and do I understand correctly that in, in utilizing a sort of blockchain approach to, I mean, we have music, also art. I, mean, I don't, yep. The art thing is uh, is nebulous. I have I have many thoughts on that um, in terms of digital art, but uh, the in, in utilizing blockchain technology, the the proceeds as as a let's say a piece of art continues to be sold down the line, there will be a continuous recourse to the original creator, yeah. right? Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to nfts right <laughs> um i'm I, as i said i come from a house of creatives yeah um, we spend sundays around the kitchen table painting um i struggle with a digital piece of art so um i understand the concept yeah it. um it's not for me <laughs> yes yeah i think i think uh, if, we, if we go down that route we'll be we'll be here all day exactly um, exactly uh, lead was established in response to the findings of the rose review to support underrepresented founders particularly as they're scaling their business so my question to you is what networks have you found most useful as you've scaled umazi and what role have mentors played as the company has evolved it's a very good report from Alison Rose. Um, I was a contractor when she was working still at Barclays back in the day um, on the global transaction services side. And, you know, for everything that I've mentioned before about how great digital innovation is, um, it's not great for building true human connections yeah right um so i struggled a little bit especially during COVID, to build some of those support networks um i received a lot of my support from the people that i surrounded myself with so from my fiance to the accelerators my um the advisors um my yorkshire terrier the I think the, the important thing to remember about support is being able to have people around you that can sympathize, appreciate your journey um, and some camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And that in of itself is not always easy if you're a woman in tech. Right. Right. Um, so what I did was I actually made some conscious efforts coming out of COVID, coming out of lockdown to attend networking events where I can actually engage with people face to face, like see the whites of their eyes. Um, it's not been always fruitful. Um, you know, there's some horror stories where I attended one event uh, where a fellow male founder noted very proudly they've got a very diverse team, almost 50-50, women majority of them in traditional 
female roles. I was like, there's something seriously wrong with that sentence of yours. Um, women in traditional female roles. Like, But then I attended another networking event where I was one of three women in the room and I met with the co-founder of Go Henry. And for the first time, it really felt like I was talking to a like-minded individual where we go through these troubles, these obstacles that we have to cross, um, the scrutinization when you walk into the room and it's like, are you the PA, the secretary, um, walking into a room full of fintechs? Um, so it's not always easy, yeah. right? Um, you know, and then from a funding perspective, we raised during COVID um, quite a good amount. We got some money from the UK government, also raised angel funding. Um, but even then, I went and tried to look for female-focused funds. Mm. And I was introduced to this one, and I had a really bad experience, kind of coming away from that going, I thought we were supposed to stick together. Um, but it's all not, not all bad, right? I mentioned sort of black and white side of both these things, because as I said, is we got funding. Yes. So if I come back to your original question, is those whom I'm selectively surrounded myself with helped me grow. Yeah. Helped me, they gave me candid feedback that was beneficial for me, but it was also beneficial to Amazi. Um, and so, which is what I recently did is I did a matrix of the overview of advisors and mentors that I have in my space to understand where the gaps are. And so now I'm trying to fill the gaps because there's always room for growth. Sort of reminds me of that saying that the people that we surround ourselves with will kind of uh, shape the direction that, that we go in, right? If we if we surround ourselves with people who are pushing us in the right direction, we'll be, we'll be inclined to go further. Or if, it, if those people are less ambitious, then maybe we'll react to a status quo. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I fully um, I empathise with that, with that search. And so how do you go about finding the right person? Is it methodical? How much of it is I vibe with this person and there's a good connection? How much of it is like we, we've targeted this person and they fit that profile? A lot of it was, um, I would say the first step was always very methodical. I always say I, I think about things in bullets. My, <laughs> give me bullet points. Um, and so I follow that that bullet pointed step process. And so the, the first interaction was always very methodical. But then I need to be able to have a conversation with you. I need to be able to, like is the wrong word, but we, we just need to be able to like agree to disagree sometimes, but sometimes be able to agree and have a laugh, right? Yeah. I like to bring in some humor. Um, I mean, doing compliance projects isn't always the most <laughs> exciting aspect, right? So we need to put a humor. Yes. Um, and so it's almost like the, it's like a relationship. It needs to have a bit of chemistry. Because mm. otherwise, you're just taking a box for me. And I'm too busy to be dragging tick boxes along. And so if the chemistry wasn't there, I would say, okay, pass. 
we'll yeah. find we'll find someone to fill that space one way or another. That sounds uh, right to me. I mean, I definitely I find the same in in all sorts of relationships, you know, professional yeah. and personal. I guess that's what makes a, a relationship go a distance when when you have there's more than just it's not just a contractual coming together, right? Yeah. There's um, there's a depth yeah. to it. Um, moving moving on um, to sort of round up today. Um, as part of the, the CMS Equip Leaders Initiative, uh, we're encouraging everyone to commit to one positive action, big or small, to support underrepresented founders this year. So my question to you, Cindy, is what positive action will you take this year to support other founders in tech? Um, it's an interesting one, and it's actually one that <laughs> very cheekily, I'm gonna say, I don't need accountability on this one. Um, I've already yeah. implemented this at the beginning of the year, yeah. um, where I decided I'm going to give back once a month for this year in one way or another. Um, so this month, for example, I'm helping another, they're not yet a startup, they're still at the idea stage, trying to make sense of where to start what, because they, mm. it's, it's a minefield, right? Trying to start something, it's like, what do I do? Like, what do you mean business model canvas? What does that mean? So that's this month and next month, I'm actually on a panel discussion on female founding experience. So diving deeper, um, where, you know, I'd be opening up for questions and people can talk to me afterwards, connect to me afterwards, talk about that fundraising journey. And then last but not least for me is, there are blocks in my diary that's non-negotiable mm. because if I don't look after myself, no one else will. Something I think we can all learn from creating those boundaries. Someone once told me about freedom within boundaries. So I admire that. Thank you for sharing sharing all, all your wisdom and uh, insight, both in into the into the space of technology and, and digital identity and. Uh, and also the adventures of, of founding a startup. If any listeners would like to find out more information on Umazi, uh, you can go to umazi.io. Um, I've actually I've had a browse. They've got some excellent, uh, some excellent research and, and reports on where we are now, where we're heading, um, and, and uh, watch this space really um, in terms of where blockchain technology is, is going to take us. Uh, and of course, if you want to hear more about CMS's startup program, Equip, or the Lead Hers initiative, you can go to the startup section of cms.law.